Today, we are going to be looking at another parable. This parable is often called the parable of the unmerciful servant. And sometimes I wonder if our parables might have alternate names or even better names sometimes because this one, I think the real, the focus in this parable is actually on the tremendously merciful king and less on the unmerciful servant. And that's what we're going to unpack today. So before we do, I have asked Rebecca to come up and read the passage for us. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18, she will tell you what verses she's reading, and it will also be on the screen. So, so many options. And let me pray um, as we listen to the scriptures. Father, we are uh, super grateful that you have uh, preserved your thoughts and your word, your mind, your heart, and the mind of Christ through the scriptures. We praise you for many people throughout history who protected and copied and translated it, and that we have it in such convenience today. So thank you, and Holy Spirit, we ask you now, while we hear it, that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, you are the better teacher. You are the one who knows the mind of the Father and the mind of Christ. And so we ask you to share that mind with us now, in Jesus' name. Okay, so we'll be starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to began a settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees and before him, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Thanks, Rebecca. So a story that's probably familiar to most of you. Uh, again, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I've been struck as we've gone through the parables this summer about some of the severity in the language of the parables. I never really caught that before. And I, I don't know if it's, if it's for humor because to be honest with you, some of it's kind of funny. It's so intensely crazy, harsh and intense. Or if it's probably more so that Jesus is just working really hard to make a point. And in order to make the point clear, he super overemphasizes certain things. And that's a couple of the things we want to focus on today are these things that he so strongly emphasizes. So we're going to go back through the passage there uh, on the screen and we're going to talk through it together. I do want to do this though before we do. So this parable is taught in response to a question that Peter had. Did you catch the question? What was Peter's question? 
You're cheating. Stop it. <laughs> Say it again. How many times do you forgive? How many times do you forgive? Yeah. And according to the rabbinical code, the kind of the rule of thumb for uh, a Hebrew in Judaism was three times. You forgive a friend three times. But then if they continue to fail you, that's it. You know, kind of three strikes, you're out. Started a long time ago. And that was that. So when Peter says, shall I forgive seven times, he's actually being quite gracious. That's like more than double. So he's saying, should I forgive seven times? You know, he senses the goodness and the generosity of Jesus. And so he wants to go the extra mile. So instead of three, he says seven. And what does Jesus say? He says not seven, but 77. And in fact, there's actually two possible ways to translate the number here. A lot of translations say 77, but others say seven times 70. So what's that? 490, right? Bottom line is Jesus is saying, be super forgiving. Like basically he's saying infinity. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, it says, keep no track of wrong suffered. So you're never going to get to 490 if you're not keeping track. So bottom line is, there's, there should be an endless supply of forgiveness from us, right? Pretty incredible ask of Jesus. Especially if you yourself might be thinking right now about a situation or a relationship or maybe a long-term experience with someone that was very debilitating and sucked life out of you and the thought of fully forgiving for every single deed, that, that sounds really difficult, right? I mean, so we have wounds and scars sometimes from these things, so how do we do that? Today, I want to hopefully help us talk a little bit about how we do that. How do we have the strength to do that? So this is what happened before. Uh, no, it's not going to be up there. You're going to have to listen to me read it. This is the passage before what Rebecca just read. Jesus said to his disciples, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as though they were a pagan or a tax collector. Big contrast, right? The passage that Rebecca read was about endless forgiveness. How many times do I forgive? An endless number of times. And yet right before that, Jesus makes this other statement. How do these two things work together? What is Jesus saying? In the first part, he's saying, if you see a friend who is caught in a sin or is struggling with a sin, go to them. Other scriptures will tell us gently and correct and say, hey, I don't think this is right. You probably shouldn't be doing this. And if your friend, your sister, your brother listens, then good job. You've won them. That's good news. If they fail, and I want to rescue us from, I think, uh, the way we hear this sometimes as we're going to invite more people, and then we're going to invite more people to really bring the pressure to them and make them agree. And we shouldn't see it that way. This is compounding compassion, not compounding judgment. Does that make sense? Yeah, so he's saying, okay, if that person doesn't listen to you by yourself, take a couple of more really close, trusted friends, you know, not just random people, but other people who love this person like you do, and go with them. And there is the idea of bringing pressure, but it's a friendly, gracious, we love you kind of pressure, not a, hey, you're blowing it, and, and we're here to, to set you straight. And then ultimately it says, again, if your friend, your brother, your sister isn't still convinced 
then bring them before the community and try one more time in the strength of the community to plead with them and to say, hey, please, let's, let's stop doing what you're doing. But it is an account for sin. So now on the flip side, and this happens at the same time, if you're reading this passage, the part that Rebecca said, read said, and then, and then. So this happened at the same time. Jesus taught the teaching, and then in the midst of it, Peter goes to him and says, how often do I forgive? So what's going on here? Why this, what seems to be kind of an, a call to account, uh, not a lot of mercy, but instead a call to not sin, and yet on the flip side, the second message, which happened at the same time, is a parable about tremendous mercy. Let's take a look, and then I'll bring those two things together at the end. So back into the passage. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to start right in the middle here, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. The kingdom of heaven is like, that is Jesus constantly introducing a different way of doing life. It's a different culture. It's a different government. It's the culture and the government and the way of Jesus and the way of his father. And that's why it's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven in huge contrast to the kingdoms of earth, right? Kingdoms of earth are not like this. Every one of these parables is like different. It's not the way it works. So let's take a look at what is different about this kingdom. So apparently there was this king who felt like things had gone on long enough without accountability. And he was thinking, okay, I think it's time that we kind of settle up. There's a lot that's owed to me, and there's a lot of debt that's being accumulated, and I'm just going to call a timeout, and I'm going to settle all the accounts. So this particular person comes to him, and how much does it say this man owed? How much, how much is 10,000 bags of gold? Uh, trillions. Yeah, I mean, the point is, this is a debt beyond any debt anyone would ever have. How would you, as an individual in a single household, accumulate a debt of 10,000 bags of gold? I would hope that when the disciples heard that, they were kind of like, what? And the point is, hey, let me get your attention here. There was a man who owed so much he could never, ever pay it. Ever. The king does what is normally done in the kingdoms of men, and that is we need to have justice. You accumulated a ton of debt, and now you need to make it right, and you need to pay the debt. So he goes about following the rules of a reasonable kingdom. What that meant in this culture was, we're going to have to sell everything you own and get cash for that, and that won't be enough. It won't be near enough because we're talking 10,000 bags of gold. So we will also sell you and your wife and your children into uh, employment or slavery, and the money that is earned from you, that will be to pay your debt. This would have been reasonable and terrifying. And so the man says, please, not that. Now, this goes completely the other way. What does the man ask for? Time. Please, give me time. I can work this off. Again, this is a little bit of a, yeah, right, 10,000 bags of gold. But he says, I just want time. What is the response of the king? Forget the debt. Forget the debt. 
<laughs> Do you catch how crazy that is? <clears throat> 10,000 bags of gold. Time out. Give me time. I'll, ta- I'll refinance my house. I'll take out another 30-year mortgage. And his response isn't, okay, that's reasonable. I'll give you a shot. His response is, let's cancel it. Let's cancel it. 10,000 bags of gold. No worries. <laughs> Tremendously generous. Can you imagine at least the emotions that you would have in this scenario? Have you ever been in a situation that felt almost as bad as I owe 10,000 bags of gold and I can't pay it? Anybody kind of felt, yeah, it's called student loans, right? (laughs) No, there's all kinds of situations that we get into and we feel like there's no win here. This is awful. This is what I have nightmares about. And it's actually happening to me right now. So then somebody decides to give you a shot at an extension, or you ask for an extension, and instead they cancel. Can you imagine your bank doing that, where your loans are? I need 10 more years to pay my loans, and the bank goes, hey, you know what, Consuela? Never mind. You owe nothing. How do you feel right now, even though we're pretending? (laughs) It's It's not even realistic. Don't even tempt me with such a thought. If only life happened that way, that would be awesome. That's the point that he's making. And again, the hope would be that this person would go away so grateful, so overwhelmed, that they would just be full of gratitude themselves and graciousness themselves. And that's the huge contrast. Let's go to the next part of the passage here. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. Now notice there's two levels of of authority in this entire story. There's a single king, and then everyone else who's mentioned is a servant. So there's king, authority, kind of overall. Everyone else in the story is a servant. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. So what's the contrast? Pretty small. Tiny, by comparison. How many coins in a bag of gold? 50? Maybe? 30? They got 30 in the bag they gave to Judas, so maybe 30, 50. So a couple of bags of silver. This man owed a couple of bags of silver. Now this is where it gets intense. He grabbed him and began to choke him. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Whoa, what's going on? Again, I think we read these things a little too quick. You got to picture this in your head, okay? Hey, oh, I know I owe you money. I'm sorry. This is getting a little crazy here. Now, notice this is amazing. His fellow servant fell to his knees. We saw this already. And begged him, same words, be patient with me and I will pay it back. For the servant, this should be a deja vu moment, right? Like, oh, I was just at the other end of this transaction. I was the one down on my knees. I was the one saying, please, give me some time, and I'll pay it back, right? You get it? But what does he say? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. That's the very thing that was going to happen to him. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. 
and went out and told their master everything that had happened. Within us as humans, there's already a good, strong sense of justice, isn't there? Have any of you seen that? What is the name of that show where they plant an unjust situation and they see who in the room will do something about it? What would you do? Is that what it's called? That's kind of fun to watch, right? Yeah, because all of us want to be that person who has the courage and kind of the this, this, this swagger <laughs> sometimes to kind of smoothly go over and like say, hey, this isn't right. This isn't right. Let's not do it this way. And I think that show is popular because there's something inside of us that really does want to see justice. And Jesus is saying, this is how all the other servants, all the other equals felt. They saw this happening and they were like, this is not right. And they knew the story of what this servant had been through. So they were doubly shocked about what happened. Now, this is where it gets really intense. Then the master, the king, called the servant in And he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured, to be worked over until he should pay back all he owed. Now, here's the scary statement. This is how my father in heaven will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister. Ouch. Really? That's harsh. God the Father will be angry and will want to punish us? Ah. Jesus said it. The words are in red. He's talking about the Father. There's no theological way around it. (laughs) Somehow we're going to have to accept this. What is he talking about? And is there any way you could understand this reaction of your father to you? This is why I think Jesus made it such a harsh and severe reality. But let's think about what he's saying. The parallel is pretty obvious, right? God is the king. God the father is the king. And the servant is any one of us. And I think all of us are probably our worst critics. Probably the one person in your life who could condemn you the most thoroughly is you. You were there for every action. You've been there for every thought. You carry around maybe some remorse, some fear, some self-condemnation. And probably for you and for me, it can feel after a lifetime like 10,000 bags of gold. Like what I've done... And what I've thought of doing that I haven't done, and what I would have done if I could have gotten away with it, is pretty bad. It's pretty awful. And it's like 10,000 bags of gold. And what Jesus did, this is the obvious part on the cross, was to say, I'm not going to give you time to work it off. I'm going to work it off for you. In a single day, by a miracle of my Father, my death will cancel your debt 100%. This is where in the story we should start feeling like we were talking about what Consuela might feel like. Like, I can't imagine. But actually you can because you do, and you did, (laughs) right? If you've understood what Jesus did for you, there was some point in your life where you went through this and you acknowledged, what? I've been released from all of it? I've been released from all of it? What? We've all been there, right? 
I hope we go there kind of when we go to the tables every Sunday. You're kind of going there again. I'm like, what? This is ridiculous and amazing and thank you. So good. But that's the reality. That's the reality. What I believe makes this a scary story is if we fail to be fully impacted by the 10,000 bags of gold and the utter and complete cancellation of the debt. So what Jesus is saying is you could be condemned a lot. And a lot of people could do it, and they could do it for a long time. And I'm going to take it all away 100%. I am removing all condemnation. And I would guess that you have not really agreed with Jesus yet fully about that in your life. That somehow we seem relentless to receive this reality that Jesus has said, there's therefore no, 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 no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. 10,000 bags of gold, never mind. You are forgiven. And if we don't enter into that in all of its fullness, we are going to fall short on the side of forgiving others, just like this man did. He didn't fully understand, or I don't know what was wrong with him. He was really wicked because such tremendous grace on his life did not reciprocate grace to other people. And this is the point Jesus is wanting to make. If you fully grasp the grace of my Father that's been poured out for you, that your debt is canceled and there's no more condemnation that's going to follow you around anymore, that should produce in you the same kind of grace in the other direction. Just freely you have received, freely give. Super good news, right? And he's wanting to say, if you don't catch that, that's really, really bad. If you don't catch how much you've been released of, and you fail to release others, that's not really even acceptable. The saddest part is, what does this king do? He takes away the forgiveness and the cancellation. And he says to this servant, you're back where you were last week, owing me 10,000 bags of gold. If my forgiveness of you has no effect on your heart to forgive others, then why did I forgive you? What was the point? I haven't forgiven you just for you. I've forgiven you to put my goodness in you. I've forgiven you to reproduce who I am. I'm a very merciful and gracious God. And I've mercifully and graciously, am I getting those words out okay? Okay. (laughs) Have forgiven you. And now I ask you, go and do the same thing. Go and do the same thing. Because if you don't, what I've done doesn't really count for you. It needs to be reciprocated. Okay, let's try to bring all this together. Oh, i got plenty of time. Good. So let's bring these two things together. On the front end, Jesus talks about sin, and he says to the church, Church, when someone is struggling with sin, here's what you do. And there's this very disciplined plan that you go through. We already talked about it. So here, Jesus is saying that every sin, potential sin, is critical. And if we can avert the commitment of sin... We want to do that. We want to rescue a sister or a brother out of sin. But on the other hand, in all the sin that you've already committed, there's nothing but grace and mercy. I want you to see how positional this is. What God desires for humanity 
is that as you face forward in life and you think of the future, he wants to protect us all from everything that he possibly can. Let's talk about sin for just a minute. I want to redefine sin. We've done this before. Away from the idea of breaking a law or a rule. Let's not think of sin just as moral, but think about sin in the context of the fact that it's anti-love. It's not anti-perfection. Sin is anti-love, right? It says all the commandments in all of Scripture are summed up in the single commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. That's how I can say with great confidence that every sin is anti-love. I want to say it another way today. I would say that every sin is human harm. Sin can be summarized as human harm. And the father of all humanity is saying, please stop harming each other. That's the call of the father. That's the father's heart. That's a mother's heart. Isn't that your heart for your kids? whether they're nieces or nephews or sons or daughters. Please don't harm each other. Why do you harm each other? What makes you do that? Why are you doing that? Why are you harming each other? And this is the Father's heart for humanity. The Father desires no harm. The word innocent in its root simply means no harm. Innocent means no harm. So an innocent child is a child that doesn't cause harm. And we see this in the smallest of children. They just don't cause harm. What do they cause? Joy. <laughs> Laughter. Messes, but that's something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but oohs and ahs, and let me hold it, and can I be with your kid? I know pretty quickly the harm comes, I, I know. But there's this moment in their life, hopefully it's a couple years, I don't know, three, five, <laughs> where in general they don't cause harm, and they're actually quite delightful. And when they do cause harm, it's a lot of times it's accidental, right? And you just have to say, hey, no, let's not do that. And they're like, oh, okay. It's when it becomes, no, I want to do this. That's, that's when we have a problem, right? It's like, no, I want to hurt someone. I want to hurt my sister. Now we have harm. And God is believing and working towards a future for humanity where the harm stops. And in the kingdom of God and in the local church today, he is calling us to already start practicing that, even though we're not going to master it. He would love for us to be together and not cause harm. That's why he says, if your brother or sister is causing harm, go to them and plead with them to stop. And if they don't, then take someone else who loves them with you and plead and this is God, and I think we fail, unfortunately, in both of the directions I'm talking about right now. We are not very quick to say, hey, maybe we ought to address this. Instead, we kind of say, ah, maybe they won't do it again. Maybe, maybe they'll slow down. They probably didn't mean it. And I would suggest that if we're to obey Jesus, he's actually calling us to pay closer attention to when harm is happening. Some of you have stories, even of, I've heard stories and seen stories of even people in leadership within a church who are regularly causing harm. And there's something in me that says, why does that go on a second day? Like, if you have perceived harm, what's the okayness with saying, we're just going to let it go and see where it goes? Like, no, no, stop. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you see a brother or sister causing harm, 
ask them to stop. Go to them and ask them to stop. And if they don't do it, don't let it go and wait. Take someone else. Let's get this to stop. Please stop harming is the heart of God. That's facing forward. But facing back, the heart of God is all is forgiven. All is forgiven. All the harm is forgiven. And I know our justice feels like, that ah, doesn't make sense. They should pay. They should pay. But let me ask you, what does paying for sin do? Does it make any human better to suffer for sin? It doesn't. It helps you comprehend how, hard, how bad the harm is, but it doesn't make you stop. What does it actually do? It starts to pile on condemnation. And it starts to take away your ability to actually believe you can stop causing harm. So now we have two things against us moving forward. If we carry forward our sin and our imperfection, and we carry forward condemnation, we are doubly cursed. Because we have very little hope to do well moving forward. Isn't that true? Isn't it your fear of what you've done poorly in the past that slows you down from moving forward in the future? Isn't the way you handled a relationship poorly slow you down from another relationship? And now Satan has really won. Because not only are we moving forward in weakness and imperfection, but now we're moving forward as condemned, weak people. And that's hopeless. <laughs> that's completely hopeless. And so what God wants us to understand clearly is all is forgiven, 10,000 bags of gold. But what he's also saying is I need you to be on this page with me. I need you to agree with me that those things are forgiven. I've said all the bags of gold are forgiven. I need you to be on the same page. I need you to agree that we are not going to keep reminding people of their sin or judging them for their sin. And again, it's really sad, but we tend to do this one not too well either. And I would say that the worst thing we do is we carry forward self-condemnation. And if there was one thing I could do as a pastor, it's preach that perfect sermon that when it's over, you never feel condemnation again. That would be like the height of my career. <laughs> and I've kind of tried to do it a few times, and I'm trying to do it right now. And I really want you to believe that you don't have to carry any condemnation forward. The 100,000 bags of gold is canceled. And not only is this super good news for you, but this is the only way you will ever have the strength to truly forgive others. Probably the main reason if you struggle to forgive that you don't have the strength for it is you have yet to receive complete forgiveness yourself. And so oddly enough, it would not be selfish for you to stop condemning yourself. It would actually be really good for all of us. <laughs> because then you would be strong. And you would be full of love and grace and hope and joy. All that fruit of the Spirit comes when a soul has been emptied of condemnation. And that's why we go back to the tables every Sunday. Here's another chance. Hey, do you remember? Do you remember? We're not condemned anymore. Do you remember that? All of it, all of it. 
past, present, and future. No condemnation. I have to tell you, I think I told you this story, but I'm going to tell it to you again. I know I did. I was dealing with a young man um, in a youth group, and he had just experienced a complete lack of self-control. And he was telling me the story of some things that he had done. And they were not good. And this kid had a sensitive heart, and I couldn't even understand why he had done them. And he was telling me, and inside the Spirit said to me so clearly, tell him it doesn't matter. Tell him it doesn't matter. Tell him it doesn't matter. And my youth pastor said, that's not what I should tell him. (laughs) But the Spirit said, tell him it doesn't matter. And then the story got worse. And he told me another layer of stuff he did. And gosh, I just wanted to say, what is going on? What's wrong with you? And the Spirit said, tell him it doesn't matter. Tell him it doesn't matter. And this went on inside me, and I thought, this is not right. If I told anyone I did this, they would say, you're a horrible pastor. What are you doing? That's awful. He needs to be held accountable. But the Spirit said, no, tell him it's okay. Tell him it's okay. And we went through that conversation. At the end, I had such a peace about that conversation. I wasn't a part of the rest of that young man's story, but today he's married, and he has a wonderful wife and a couple of great kids, and he's a worship pastor. And I just have a feeling that that little piece of what we went through helped that happen. Because what he expected, what he actually already had was a tremendous amount of condemnation. I didn't need to add to it. He was full of it. He was waiting for me to hit him as hard as he had hit himself. He was waiting for me to say, yes, you're an idiot. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, that was awful and you should be bludgeoned for it. But he had already done that. He already had the condemnation. He stirred it up himself. He didn't need a human to agree with him, and I didn't. What he needed was a human to agree with God and say, I've canceled the debt. I've canceled the debt. Here's the challenge. These two things are hard to hold together, but we have to. We have to look back and say, all is forgiven for me and for you. All is forgiven for me and for you. We are debt-free. We are light on our feet. We are happy. We are full of joy. We are grateful. Moving forward, move carefully. Move with wisdom. Don't be stupid. (laughs) Don't be stupid. All that debt that was so hurtful to you and to others, do you really want to perpetuate it and step back into it? This is what Jesus was doing when he met the woman that they had caught in adultery. If there was ever a woman in that society that deserved to be killed, it was this woman. And Jesus said to them, okay, let the first one of you who has never sinned go ahead, throw the rock. And this was beautiful because they all realized everyone had sinned and they walked away. Jesus finally says, after he had done drawing in the dirt, whatever that was, he said, where are your condemners? And what did they say? What did she say? Nobody's left. So now it's just Jesus and her. All the condemners are gone. And Jesus says what? Neither do I. Let him who is without sin, nobody in the space was without sin except Jesus. Even I who am without sin do not condemn you. What? Wow. What's the next phrase? Go and sin no more. See, that's a picture of exactly what we're talking about. Looking back at what you've done and where you've been We have to let it go. We have to forgive. We have to receive forgiveness. 
we have to give forgiveness. And we all have to look back and say, that's done and it's released. Looking forward, we have to be cautious. We have to go slow. We have to not just go out, well, I'm forgiven now. Here I go, do-to-do, back to what I was doing before. That's what this merciful, merciless servant did, this wicked servant. Jesus says, you wicked person. I forgave you. And then you just went off like nothing changed. And you were just as evil as you were before. And that's, that's the call of Jesus is, hey, be changed. First of all, fully receive forgiveness. Fully receive it. Be changed. Be light. Be full of joy. Be released. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That's the part I didn't read. But in your joy and in your freedom, do not perpetuate condemnation. Do not fail to forgive. But if you see someone who is sinning, plead with them to stop harm. This is our call. This is our call. And you know what? I believe we can do it. I believe we're already doing it to some degree, but I hope after this conversation, we might do even more. But I feel like this is a group of people who's all on the same page and who would say, yeah, you're nodding. That's good. That's good. This is what we're asked for. I want to give you a couple of minutes just to consider what does it look like to take another step towards this kind of a kingdom, this kind of a culture? And just think about your household. So whether it's roommates or children or parents, what would it look like in your household to do really good at totally abandoning condemnation and to do really good at gracious correction, gracious challenge? What needs to happen right now in your household where that's not happening? Is there an offense or is there a relationship where there's still condemnation and a lack of forgiveness? And so there's still a lack of hope and a lack of strength and a, a lack of energy because it's just weighted down by that condemnation. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. Let's say you're forgiven. Let's confess our sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Or is there something in, in your household where, gosh, this isn't right. And I'm, tolerate, I'm tolerating harm. I'm tolerating harm to the person and I'm tolerating harm to another person. And, and I'm, Jesus calls me not to do that. Where do we need to correct? We need courage to correct, and we need grace to forgive. And then let's think maybe, once that's done, beyond the household, where in this family or where in this community is there a need for forgiveness and a release from condemnation? And where is there a need for correction? Now think through the scriptures. Correction, that's within the body of Christ. So we don't go around correcting those who are not a part of the body. If someone has not been set free by Jesus, they actually can't really be set free. So we're not called to correct the world. We're called to correct brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Jesus, um, Holy Spirit, thank you for, for being with us. And we, our hearts agree with you. <clears throat> we really do want to see freedom in ourselves and others. So give us strength, God, to really receive and believe when you say you're forgiven. Remind us right now as we go to the table. Overwhelm us with how fully we've been forgiven, please, in our hearts, not just in our minds. And Father, if, if we are guilty of not releasing another 
then show us that and give us the strength to forgive. And Father, give us that hard uh, commitment to correct each other. God, we're not good at it. We hate it. Oh, it just sounds bad, but it's, it's good. And we receive it as good. And we know it's for the sake of not causing harm. So give us courage and grace to correct. And I pray also for grace to receive correction, even if it comes poorly. God, give us a space to safely learn how to save one another from harm. In Jesus' name.